George Poynton is a teacher who posts a lot on social media and likes to find funny comments that children make in order to um, entertain people who follow him on the social media platforms. And this week he asked this uh, to a group of six-year-olds, what is the most important thing in the world? To a group of six-year-olds, what did they say? Here's a few selections. A child called Rory said, monster trucks. The most important thing in the world is monster trucks. Lola said, it's probably money because you can't buy anything without money. Very wise for a six-year-old there. The most important thing in the world, Emma said, was my nana. Uh, the other, Belle said, shoes with wheels on. That's the most important thing in the world. Or Zara said, chocolate buttons, which then went into a bit of a discussion, apparently, about what was the best chocolate. But when you ask children the most important thing in the world, you're going to get different answers, aren't you? Because their priorities might look very different to the priorities as you grow older. But what are your priorities? As we ask ourselves, what is the most important thing in our lives? What is our most important thing? See, in, the, in these words in Mark's Gospel, in Mark chapter 2, Jesus tells us and shows us what is most important. What is the biggest thing we need to deal with? And here is the Son of God. He, the, 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 the Word of God become flesh, speaking to us and showing us this is most important. He tells us what our priority should be. Now, Mark's Gospel, uh, it is a really quick-paced account of Jesus' life. If you read chapter 1, it is just so uh, fast-paced. Lots of things happening, lots of things um, doing, uh, Jesus is doing. He's healing, he's teaching, uh, he's caring for people. And he's getting a lot of attention. And this is just building up and building up. So much so that he has to leave where he is and go back home to Capernaum because it was just too hectic, too many crowds. People were coming from uh, far away to hear his message. And here, um, he was back home. And you can imagine the scene, chapter 2, where he's at home. One of the disciples maybe opens the door, and suddenly it crowds rush into this house that he's staying in. They rush in, and the room is crowded out. And people just can't get in because they've come to hear Jesus. And it's in this jam-packed house that we hear Jesus show us what the most important thing in life is. And what is that? Well, we're going to see it's our theme to today, which is forgiveness, being right with God. That is the most important thing for us to get sorted in our lives. So let's look at four things about forgiveness this morning. The first we'll see is the priority of forgiveness. So Jesus is in this home, and there's no doubt he's exhausted because of everything that's been going on. And here he is preaching, he's teaching again, and he wanted to leave the crowds, and he's come back and he's just again kind of bombarded by loads of people. They've ambushed his house. And what's his response? What would your response be? You know, you wanted some time out, some time on your own, and suddenly this, uh, this crowd is there. How would you be? Would your patience be wearing thin? I know mine would. But what does Jesus say? No, he's there and he's ready. And so we see uh, many were gathered, uh, so there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. Even though he was tired, even though he was uh, rushed off his feet, he had time to be able to tell them the news of why he's come. Just in passing, let's remember who Jesus is. He's not too busy for you. He's always ready, always ready to hear um, our voice. He's not too busy, so we can turn to him whenever. And Jesus was in this packed house. He was preaching, 
and suddenly something really shocking would have happened it's a well-known story isn't it but can you imagine being there imagine here suddenly the roof starts to kind of fall down bits of the plaster start to come down here and and we see this hole starts opening up in the roof and this man is brought down before him he's lowered down and this man was a paralytic it was clear that he couldn't walk and his four friends had brought him to jesus now here are these four friends it, just imagine what they were thinking you know jesus was back home maybe they they knew who jesus was they'd heard what he was doing then they heard he went away and they thought right next time he's here we're going to make it our priority to take our friend who can't work to walk to jesus because jesus can fix his legs jesus can fix him so we've got to get him to jesus so they hear he's back so straight away they get their stuff together they go to the house where jesus is and it's already rammed full it's like this is our chance we've got to get to jesus and so in those days the roofs would have been flat uh, on top and stairs are on the side so they walked up the stairs got to the stop top and started digging through the roof it wouldn't have been tiles and and wood beams like now it would have been uh, like uh, mud that they could have got through and so they were digging through and they lowered him down our friend who can't walk our friend who is so dependent on us if he could just be able to walk then everything would be sorted this is our only hope so there he is lowered before jesus now what's the man thinking just imagine him for a moment this is it i'm gonna be able to move my legs again i'm gonna be able to walk i'm gonna be able to work i won't have to depend on my friends to, for everything this is the moment i'm gonna be able to walk and then jesus speaks and you see what he says verse five um, uh, he says he saw their faith and he said to the paralytic my son this is the moment he says your sins are forgiven so hang on a minute that's not my problem here jesus you can imagine the thoughts can't you what is going on that's not my problem my problem is much bigger than sins forgiven i need my legs to it i need to walk but as jesus says those words he is showing us something so important isn't he he is showing something he says look i care about your suffering and he does get there doesn't he it's really important for us to see he does make him and help him walk and we'll see next week how god cares about the fabric of this world and he wants uh, and he that did something that's important to him but the most important thing he's saying is you have a problem that is deeper than the need you think you have now you have a greater need than you realize because this man could easily have thought couldn't he if i just could have um uh, my legs working if i could just walk then all my problems would be gone if i could just have that then i'd be totally happy then my life would be sorted but jesus is saying to you no if i healed you physically there is still a bigger problem you wait a few months and you will see you won't be happy there's more there's deeper issues going on here now i wonder if there's anything in our lives in your life this morning you think if i could just get this sorted if this could be done then i'd have my life would be fine then i wouldn't worry about anything we know what it's like to feel like that don't we it could be something major we could think oh if i just had more money if i just had a different job if i just had uh, more success or it might be smaller things we just want that thing we think this is it this is going to sort it all out but jesus is showing us no there's a bigger problem and our biggest problem is being right with god that is number one priority we need our sins forgiven now when we bring this into the context of the apostles creed 
and we remember what we've thought of. It makes sense, doesn't it? Because year is where we started. We started with, I believe in God, the Father Almighty Creator. God made us, and He created us to enjoy life with Him, serving Him, for Him to be God, because He is all-wise, He is all-knowing, and for us to serve Him, to love Him, and enjoy Him. But what was the biggest problem? We said to God, God, we don't need you. We can do this on our own. And so we've put ourselves in God's place, and as a result, the world fell apart. Our relationship with God is ruined. And it's pretty clear, isn't it, as we look at the world around us, there's something wrong. We don't need to convince, spend long convincing people of that. But what is wrong with the world? What is the heart of the problem? Well, Jesus' answer to us is that we need our sins forgiven. That sin uh, that we have caused, that we have um, upset God and hurt Him. This is how one writer puts it. The desire to be God rather than to serve God lies at the bottom of every sin that anyone has ever committed. The desire to be God rather than serve God lies at the bottom of every sin that anyone has ever committed. We have a deep spiritual problem. And that word, the Bible says, is sin. We've offended God. We've hurt Him. We've lived in His world, ignored Him, and enjoyed His gifts. But then we come to the Bible and we remember this God who we've offended deeply loves us. Deeply loves us. And He cares so much that he sees us destroying ourselves with sin, and he's angry. And so we have got a problem. We face and we deserve the wrath of God. That's why Jesus says, your greatest need is forgiveness. That is the priority. That is bigger than anything else in this life. Now, the word sin isn't very popular today, is it? Um, it's often kind of something that's mocked or said, or, you know, something that's naughty but nice, or a bit sinful, that, or... But actually, the Bible says that we are all sinners, however unpopular. And deep down, don't we know that's true? Deep down, we know, don't we, that we've failed. We don't live up to the mark. There's guilt that just hangs on. Things that we've done, aware of failures. Are, you know, there's that voice in our hearts that just can't keep quiet. There's a guilt. And even if we might not give it the label sin, that's what the Bible tells us it is. Um, in Shakespeare's play, Macbeth, Lady Macbeth, she, um, in the first act of the play, she helps her husband to murder the king. And by the end of the play, she's just in this mental torment, um, and she eventually takes her own life. And in the last scene before um, she does that, uh, she's before this doctor, and she can't cleanse her conscience. She's just got this guilty conscience. And she's rubbing her hands. She's saying, out, damned spot. Out, I say. Who would have thought the old man to have such... Blood, much blood in him. What, will his hands never be clean? Here's the smell of blood still. All the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. Those lines. Sorry, I didn't present them, as maybe they should have. Maybe Matt can give you some tips later on, some Shakespearean acting, I don't know. But that's what she was saying. She's trying to get rid of this guilt and this shame. And the doctor said, what a sigh is there. The heart is sorely charged. This disease is beyond my practice. The doctor can't help. This guilt is deep. How can they be cleansed? Maybe you feel like that this morning. Just a deep guilt and shame. Jesus says the most important thing in life is making, making sure you're right with God. Sins need to be forgiven. And the question is, well, how? How can I get rid of this spot, as it were, as Lady Macbeth says? 
Well, we've looked at the priority of forgiveness. Now let's look at the person who forgives. Now, Jesus says to this man, I'm going to forgive you, your sin. I'm the one who's going to forgive you. And people don't like that, do they? Do you see in verse 6, some of the scribes, as the religious leaders there, were sitting there questioning in their hearts. So they weren't saying it out loud. They were just thinking, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So here they are. They're saying, how on earth can Jesus say that he's forgiven sins? Only God can forgive sins. And you know, they're right, aren't they? What they say there is true. Um, only God can forgive sins. And the way the Bible explains sin, any sin, is that we have offended God. First and foremost, he is the one. Now, a problem is uh, vertical before it is horizontal. And if you imagine three people, you know, Mr. A, B, and C, and um, imagine that C punches A, okay, right in the face. And then B turns to C and says, I forgive you for punching A. You can't forgive him. You know, a needs to forgive. He's the one that's been hurt. He's the one that's been offended. Only he has the power to forgive because he's the offended party. Jesus is showing us here that all sin, all rebellion against God, uh, all rebellion is ultimately against God first and foremost. So that's why David in Psalm 51, where he has got a catalogue of, of failures behind him, where he has murdered and lied and cheated and committed adultery. He says in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned. Ultimately, David realizes I've offended God. You see, sin is never isolated, is it? It's never just about us. It is always affects other people, always will. So when you sin, you will affect other people. You will hurt someone. And remember, we're all made by God in his image. And as we hurt others, we're hurting someone who is precious to God. We've offended the owner, the, the, the true king, God. And we need his forgiveness. Do you remember how the law is summarized? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And as we've already said today in our prayer of confession, isn't it? We've, we've failed. That's our biggest problem. And Jesus is showing us here, I'm the one who can forgive. I'm the one who has authority. That's why he then goes on to say, to show you that I have the authority to forgive sins, I'm going to do something that is harder, you know, it seems harder. Because he says, doesn't he, as you read on, immediately perceiving this was in their spirit, said, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take your bed and walk. To show you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. See, it's easy in one sense to say your sins are forgiven. How do you prove it? Jesus says, I'll do the thing that seems harder, and I'm going to ask you to pick up your mat and walk, to prove that I am the one who can forgive. Jesus is saying something amazing about himself here, isn't he? He's saying he's God in the flesh, and I am the one who can forgive sin. See, in this passage, we see Jesus is the one who can forgive sin. But let's just look, notice something else here. When we put this in the context of the whole Bible, we need to realize that when we are forgiven by God, we are only forgiven if we repent. That is, if we turn to God and say, we're sorry. Throughout the Bible, we see that as consistent. You have to repent to have forgiveness. You have to turn to God and say, I'm sorry to be forgiven. And yet in this passage, we see, well, where's the repentance? Where's this man? Is he saying sorry at all? Well, this is what um, Tim Keller points out about this passage, which is really helpful. He says in, in verse 8, Jesus is perceiving what is in the Pharisee's heart. So even though they haven't said it, Jesus knows their heart. And when you put that together with this passage and then the rest of the Bible, 
we have to say this that Jesus must have perceived in this man's heart some kind of longing some kind of reaching out for mercy or grace and what does Jesus do your sins are forgiven when we bring that into line with the whole Bible do you see what we're told about Jesus he's not reluctant to forgive even the weakest reaching out to say God help me God forgive me he is ready in a moment to say your sins are forgiven remember Matthew 11 Jesus says come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest come to me he says if you're feeling weary and heavy laden with guilt Jesus says come to me this morning and I will give you rest he's the one who can help he's the one who can save as Dane Ortland said in his book he is the most understanding person in the universe the posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger but open arms that's Jesus and he says to you this morning with all of your guilt and all of your shame come to me we don't have to have the perfect prayer we don't have to um, say right now from now on that's it I'll never sin again Jesus doesn't give any, any conditions that he just says come come and I'll deal with your sin this is our Savior ready to forgive whatever we've done now if you're a believer this morning do you believe this when we say I believe in the forgiveness of sins it's a really basic Christian thing that we believe isn't it that is how we kind of become Christians by asking God to forgive us and we can say it we've read it together this morning but do you believe it do you believe that you're forgiven do you believe that every sin that you've committed past present and future has been dealt with do you believe it because Jesus says this morning I can forgive your sins and if you're trusting in him then you are forgiven he is the person ready to forgive the priority of forgiveness Jesus says there's nothing more important we need to be right with God the person who forgives is Jesus who is always ready let's thirdly look at the price of forgiveness you see forgiveness is always going to be costly if you've ever had to forgive someone you will know how hard that is when someone hurts you there's a debt that's made isn't there something's taken away from that relationship and that debt needs to be paid and we can either make somebody else pay it for us by maybe withholding love or withholding stuff from that person or we can say I'm gonna pay that debt myself and I'm gonna forgive you and that is emotionally costly who pays our eternal debt to God how can we make ourselves right with the God who we've hurt and we've hurt him eternally the passage points us to the answer remember Jesus says to this man your sins are forgiven now up until this point in Mark's gospel there's been no tension between Jesus and the leaders the religious leaders there's been no tension with anything Jesus has just done his work and it's been everybody's just amazed at what he's doing but here is the start of the tension because Jesus says your sins are forgiven and they say you can't say that you're blaspheming you're making yourself equal with God as we follow um, the gospel story um, and then you come to the end of the gospel in Mark 14 Jesus was being tried and ultimately this would lead to his death on the cross and listen to what it happens in that trial the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus have you no answer to make what is it that these men testify against you but he remained silent and made no answer again the high priest asked him are you the Christ the son of the blessed 
And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do you need? You've heard his blasphemy. Watch your decision. And they all condemned him as deserving death. What was he crucified for? What did they find him guilty of? Making himself equal with God. Blasphemy. Which is exactly what was happening here. So the point is, for this man to be forgiven, ultimately it was going to cost Jesus his life. But that was the very point. The only way our hearts can be changed, the only way our deepest need can be met, is if, on the cross, Jesus takes the price. Jesus pays that debt. He takes the cost in our place. Our sin has ruined our relationship with God. We have hurt, we've offended, and if we pay the price, we deserve an eternal, eternal punishment. But on that cross, Jesus suffered and died and paid that debt for us. See, Jesus took our place. That is why we can say this morning, I'm forgiven. He paid the price on the cross, which means our relationship with God is restored. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, hear this, please. Your sins have been forgiven. Every single one of them. Jesus uh, knows about your sins. Your open sins, your secret sins can all forgiven be, as the hymn says. His work on the cross was complete. He said, it is finished. It is done. There is no more. And remember the question that we ask a lot that helps us to think this through. How many of your sins were future sins when Jesus died on the cross? All of them, which means they are all covered, which means there is no condemnation now for those in Christ Jesus. You are forgiven. Do you believe it? Listen to these words from the rest of the Bible, Colossians 1. Having forgiven us all our trespasses, he has cancelled the record of debt that stood against us. Ephesians 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. For as high, Psalm 103, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You are forgiven. Stop looking at yourself and look to Jesus. He's paid it all. If you're not a Christian this morning, maybe you know what it is to carry that low-level guilt. Just feeling that you don't add up and measure up. Feeling that you've hurt people and you can't fix it. And you just have this burden that you're carrying. It's tiring, isn't it, just to carry that burden? In Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan's book, um, he is written about this character, Christian, who's on his way to the celestial city. And he has this burden on his back that is weighing him down. And he's trying to walk up this hill and it's weighing him down, it's crushing him. It was heavy. But then he comes to the cross and he looks up at the cross. And what happens? This burden that's weighing him down suddenly just rolls away and it rolls into the grave at the bottom of the hill, never to be seen again. This morning, look at the cross. See that Jesus has paid your debt and know your sins forgiven. Feel that weight being taken off you. Come to him. Come to the cross. Now, this time of year, people are using credit cards a lot, buying gifts. Imagine that you have this credit card bill and you know it's got out of hand. And you just 
dread to open any envelopes or any emails that come telling you about it. And you look at your, you know, you think about this monthly bill, maybe you open one of them, you think, I just can't pay it. I can't pay this monthly bill. You get a warning letter after warning letter, and you know you're in huge debt. Too much for you to pay. And you just, you put it off, you put it off, but then you say, one day, right, I need to phone this company. So you phone the credit card company, say, I want to talk about the debt on my card. And they ask you your name, they ask you your security questions, and they get, you get through, and they look at your card, and they say, Oh, there's no record of any debt under that name. No, we've checked, and there's nothing. Your, your debt's gone. It's been paid in full. Imagine the joy. Imagine the relief. Jesus, this morning, says to us, there is no record of any debt under your name. As he looks at your record, if you're trusting in him, it is gone, it is washed clean. Believe. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Do you believe it? Are you living it? See, the priority of forgiveness, Jesus shows us, is nothing more important in our life to get this in our mind. The person who forgives is Jesus Christ. The price of forgiveness is paid by him. But let's last look at this, the path of forgiveness. We have to step away from this passage just to apply this a bit, broad, a bit more in a broader way. We're declaring that we believe in the forgiveness of sins when we say this in the Apostles' Creed. And enjoy, we need to enjoy this wonderful truth. We need to let it sink deep into our hearts. But when we believe this, it'll never stay just with us. It'll affect how we view other people. And as you look at the rest of the New Testament, we see the importance of forgiving others as we have been forgiven. So in Colossians 3, it says, forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Or Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The pattern, you've been forgiven, now you must forgive other people because that is the shape of the Christian life. When we realise we're forgiven for all the wrong we've done, all of our failures washed clean, that will give us the power to be able to forgive other people. Now, bitterness is a horrible thing, isn't it, to be carrying around with us. It eats us up from the inside out. If we are bitter towards somebody, it will just eat us up. As one person said, or lots of people have said, bitterness is the poison you drink, hoping it will kill someone else. But actually, it's killing you. It destroys you from the inside out. Now, this morning, as we talk about forgiving other people, there's going to be a vast difference in this room of different offences that people might have affected, been affected by. Maybe you're holding something against someone for words they've said years ago. And she's just holding on to it. Maybe something they've done or not done. But maybe there's a deeper issue that somebody has really hurt you. There might be historic things in your life that they, they've caused and the, the effects are huge on your whole life. Maybe you've been abused or betrayed or lied to and you're just really struggling with it. See, this isn't an easy thing. You've been forgiven, so forgive. This is a process. This is a battle. This is a daily thing we need to remember and ask God's help for. But... God promises to give supernatural help to help us. I know I've shared this before, but I think it helps to make this point really clearly. Again, back to our friend Corrie Ten Boom. But she was a Christian, remember, in Ravensbrück concentration camp in the Second World War. She was a Jew, a Jewish Christian. And in that co concentration camp, her sister Betsy died, and they were treated horrendously. After she managed to, um, after the World War ended, she went all over the world traveling, telling people about Jesus and all that he had done for her and she was in Munich one day speaking and as she was speaking 
um, she saw this man at the back of the room and she recognized him as one of the former SS guards in the camp. And suddenly she said, I was there in the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, uh, Betsy's pain-blanched face. And he came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fräulein, he said. To think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to other people in Blumenthal, they need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so, again, I breathed in silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that had almost overwhelmed me. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself. There is a supernatural resource for us to be able to forgive. If you are struggling to forgive someone, if you are holding on to that bitterness, then there is help from God. Turn to him, ask him. We need to keep breathing the air of the gospel. You see, as we remember the gospel, it keeps us humble. When we struggle to forgive someone, we need to remember the gospel. You see, it's really hard to forgive someone if you think you're better than them. But by remembering the gospel, it humbles us. And we remember that God has saved us. We are sinners and we need the grace of God. And by remembering that, as we breathe that in, then we can forgive others. See, when we remember the context of the Apostles' Creed, we're talking here about the supernatural, Holy Spirit-empowered community of believers. And one thing that should mark us out is this radical forgiveness. We know we have all failed. And we know we've been forgiven. And when we understand that, we can offer that same love and forgiveness to others. This could be a real battle for us, a real test. And let's pray that God would help us in our need. So we've seen the priority of forgiveness. We need to remember uh, that uh, Jesus sees this as the most important thing in our lives. We remember the person who forgives, that is Jesus. He was willing uh, to offer that forgiveness. He's ready to forgive us. The price of forgiveness was that it cost his life and the path of forgiveness that we walk, eh, forgiving others as we have been forgiven. 